It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the Right. And good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to the show. I need to tilt down. See, even I need to. Yeah, do all that of a sudden, every... I was like, "What happened?" The top of my head <laughs> just came right off, but it does a no, lot. No, but I had the same thing. I had a. <laughs> well, it's the way this this whole thing is set up, and uh, when we go to the closer shots, and sometimes it it zooms in for, for us, and that's what we have. But. Uh, for you folks listening on the podcast, you don't care because you're just uh, hearing the audio. If you want to, if you want to duck out of the camera shot altogether, Peggy, uh, you can go for it. I know you don't like it at all. She hates it when I bring up her, her. You know, I I could do that just to uh, to to mess with you. You know, um, okay. So if you do that, this is what we've got. Oh, now now you can duck out of sight. I didn't even get my plant. I was going to get a plant as a prop in the background and. Uh-oh, it didn't you were going to bring your Aurelia in. I was going to, uh, yeah, and uh, oh, I did. talking about Legata's, Legata's litter box. And Whoa, that, that I didn't want to do that. Now, see, that's what I what happens. Oh, that's because I've got that up. Let's take that off. There we go. Okay, uh, welcome to the show, everybody. Um, boy. Um, yeah, hey, Bruce. Hey, Dan. Hey, Diana. Hey, Skeet. Yay. Um, I'm hoping Everyone's we have. checking in. I hope we have a few more people here today, too, uh, because, uh we have gotten a lot of response to the uh, preview of this show and uh, the notices we send out on social media about what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, we struck it. It's not us who struck a nerve. It's, it's what's going on in Winnebago County and uh, at uh, Rockford, uh, actually Chicago Rockford international airport. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I call this uh, in uh, in my blog post. Can one bee rescue a valuable remnant prairie? And I wrote that because not only is it a legitimate question, it had a really, really good SEO score. I just like okay, there we go. It's and it's as we know, it's all Woo-hoo! about it's all about the SEO. And I get lucky sometimes because I'll I'll sit there writing headlines for for hours trying to figure out a good one and it gives me like a forty two and I'm like a oh come on you can do oh, how about a fifty one uh, this is like a 90, 90. and I was like 
So SEO would be search engine optimization. Yeah. So oh, that's right. Acronyms. And we were just talking about acronyms uh-huh. uh, before the show. And a lot of people don't know it. Yeah. Search engine optimization. You don't ever want to have to deal with that that is the bane known as please the internet gods exactly yes. play which which translates to please google okay really mm-hmm. uh because they control everything and don't get me started you know one day we're going to do a thing just on social media no we're not why why because we can i don't know anyway so can one be rescue a valuable remnant prairie? That's one thing. I was also thinking uh, it could be called revenge of the, uh, uh, and now, of course, it's going out of uh, the, uh, what's the name of the bee? And, of course, it goes right out of rusty my head. The Rusty Patch Bumblebee. Boy, gosh, I'm old. I'm really old. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, it could also be revenge of the Rusty Patch Bumblebee. It could also be. The little prairie that could, um, and uh, and it if it can, little it, bee on the prairie, um, little bee on. I like. There we go. We got all of. Well, I tell you what, we should have our our, our listeners and viewers uh, give us their titles for this. But mainly, I want yeah. them to. Mainly, I want. I was going to say good morning to Allison and Zan is making pita bread, and Amos says go green. Wow, uh, or go home. Uh, so, uh, mainly I want folks to pay attention and help out if they can. Uh, we have, uh, and I'll say it right now and we'll continue to say it during the show, uh, a link to a petition to governor Pritzker to save this prairie. Um, and, uh, we're going to put it up for the first time right now. And, uh, we're going to talk about the reasons why on today's show, uh, at 10 o'clock, we bring in our foodie, Bob Benenson. Uh, from Good Food Forum, I'm sorry, Local Food Forum. Boy, I can't get anything right. I need to write all this down. I got to stop uh, doing. Uh, yeah, I know it's there, but I, you know, I have so many screens up um, that. Okay, hey, look it. There's a rundown that Peggy did. Maybe I should do that. Uh, look at that. Bob Benenson will be here. Uh, it's the end of the uh, farmers market season. We're near it. Uh, you couldn't tell by the temperatures uh, and the weather, um, it's nuts. And Bob mm-hmm. says that's been reflected in the produce that is out and available at Farmer's Market. He says all the seasons seem to be running together. Um, mm-hmm. And you're seeing corn with apples, with squash, with... With raspberries. With raspberries. There's been a second crop of raspberries for some people. So... Uh, we'll talk to him and then slide into Rick DeMaio and say, what does that mean, Rick DeMaio, our meteorologist, uh, explain the, uh, and he's been saying that for several years now, that the seasons are not the way we used to have them, certainly here in the Midwest, probably other places, um, and ask him when, uh, you know, I, I don't mind the warm weather. It makes me nervous when we don't have any rain. Um, you and I got like a trace here. Other people got hit harder. I got, I got three tenths overnight. Oh, okay. I got a tenth all, all yeah. told. That's it. So really pretty much yeah. nothing. Yesterday here. afternoon, nothing, but so, uh, so that's all on the show today. Uh, very excited about, uh, about 
all of it. So uh, without further ado, we should go to our guests uh, in the lower left corner of your screen. If you're watching in stereo, uh, is uh, Carrie Lee, who is the executive executive director of the Natural Land Institute. Um, the lower right screen is our buddy Rob Telfer, um, uh, who who likes to bill himself as a naturalist and a poet. Uh, and that's what we have there. But he's been known to work at organizations like the Morton Arboretum and the Field Museum. Uh, he's been involved in the Wild Things Conference. He's been on our show before um, and um, talks about all things in the natural world. So uh, welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank uh, you, Mike. Thank so, you, Peggy. So here we are. Uh, I didn't even... I'm gonna I, I I'm gonna cop to it. I didn't even know about this story uh, until a few days ago. Uh, it was not on my radar. I had an entirely different show planned. Um, I'm I'm sounding like uh, Rachel Maddow now. It's like uh, oh yeah, I just had to throw out the show. I had to throw it out the window ten minutes ago and then write a new one. Except that I don't have a staff that can do that for me. Uh, I have to do it myself. Uh, but this week, um, I found out about the little prairie that could. Um, and that is a prairie called the Bell Bowl Prairie, right next to Chicago Rockford International Airport. Um, Carrie, I'm going to start with you and ask you kind of a basic question here. And that is, before we even describe what the Natural Land Institute is, why is this prairie important? So, okay, great. That's a great question, Mike. And um, part of the reason is that this used to be the Prairie State and Illinois used to be covered in prairies, whether they were wet prairies, dry prairies, gravel hill prairies, dolomite prairies, or the deep, uh, dark soil prairies that we have in the state. Now we have only 2,300 acres left of what we call remnant prairies. They're kind of like museum pieces, if you like, uh, and they hold within them the original genetic uh, structure of the prairies. And in the words of uh, Jerry Wilhelm, he, he wrote a story in his book, Plants of the Chicago Region, of when he was first learning uh, to be a botanist and he had this job where he had to go out and, and for a company and find out where he could put fill and they had several sites. And he went out with um, uh, a specialist from the Morton Arboretum to look at these sites and they were like, oh, can I put it here? And they're like, yep, you can put your fill here. Yep, you can put your fill here. And they got to this one prairie site and he looked at Jerry and he said, no, you can't put your fill here. This is America, Jerry. This is America. So these prairies are the original landscape. And from 22 million acres to 2,300 acres, we've compromised away pretty much. Uh, so now only one one hundredth of a percent of prairies remain in Illinois. And, you know, George Fell said that nothing becomes valuable until it's rare. Well, prairies are rare. 
Yeah. yeah. And, and George is the founder of the Natural Land Institute. George is the founder of the Natural Land Institute. He's also one of the founders of the Nature Conservancy. Uh, and after he founded the Nature Conservancy in Washington, D.C., uh, after a few years, uh, he moved back to Rockford uh, and founded the Natural Land Institute, which was the first conservation land trust in the state of Illinois. And uh, we're very proud of his legacy. And I will mention that um, Arthur Melville Pearson wrote a mm -hmm. book about George Fell uh, a couple of years back uh, called Force of Nature. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. we had our Arthur's a friend of the show and we had him on to talk uh, about that. And now we, it, it, it's interesting how these names then come full circle or they pop yeah. up again in the context mm -hmm. of these issues. Um, so we have a prairie. This is a remnant prairie, um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a special remnant prairie. You mentioned how many acres, uh, 2,000 what was it, Carrie? 2,300 acres of prairie, uh, remnant prairie, the original prairie, are left in the state of Illinois from 22 million. Yikes. Um, and they're not scary, all together, right? right? Pardon? They're not. They're not. They're not all together. They're scattered. No, they're not all. The they're scattered around. Yeah, they're scattered around. Oh yeah, it's just uh, we. Oh, we'll we'll save that. The couple of acres there. I mean, we're talking about twenty-five acres total next to the airport. Of that, five acres, not quite five acres, is high quality prairie. Right, Carrie? Yeah, and that's, it's actually an Illinois Natural Areas Inventory Site. It's called, the acronym for that is INAI. Uh, and the inventory was first conducted uh, back in the late 70s. And it was really an effort across the state to try and say, hey, what's left? What's left of the real mm -hmm. America here? What's left of our heritage and where um, is it? Yeah. And where is it located? And what quality is it? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it degraded? Uh, so they did another update of that uh, just a few years ago. Uh, and many of those Illinois Natural Area inventory sites have disappeared through neglect or kind of willful damage. Um, and others, for example, uh, are still there, but most are not protected, uh, these INAI sites. Are most of them on privately owned land or public land? Um, I, would, I would say many, many of them are on private land. If they're on public land, for example, um, a forest preserve district or a conservation district, uh, then they would be protected. But most of them are not protected uh, because of landowner rights. And there's this, you know, this is something that I wanted to talk about, about protection of these really special places, because <clears throat> there is no protection for the INAI sites, these high quality remnants. And there is an awesome program for landowners um, who have forests and woodlands in the state of Illinois. It's a forestry management plan. And if they put their forest and their woodland in this program, they can get a huge tax break 
on their property taxes. And they have to have a management plan written for this um, so that they have to follow the management plan. And I'm actually proposing that we do that for these INAI sites on private lands because we don't want to go in there with a heavy hammer and just take away people's private property. We want to provide really meaningful incentives for people to protect and manage these special places. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because it seems like the INAI sites are oh, it's a recommendation. Um here's an uh, it's more an observation almost, just an observation that yeah, this is a, a, a site that is uh, of um, historical value and um, also ecological value. Um, but go ahead and do what you're going to do with it. Yeah. Um, it seems that oh. we're at that point. And I want to mention that um, uh, Carrie Sari, who is... Cassie Sari. I'm sorry. Cassie. Cassie. Boy. Cassie, Cassie Sari. Carrie Thank Lee. You. Cassie, yeah, sorry. yeah, that's right. There's Carrie. There's Cassie, and starts I and with I, the K starts with the C. Yeah, okay. Cassie, sorry, duh, uh, is a certified ecological restoration practitioner. She works for the uh, the Park District, uh, Chicago Park District, and uh, she has a wonderful blog post uh, about the situation, which you can find at my website, MikeNovak.net. Go to this week's blog, and she writes that gravel hill prairies, which is what we've got here. Uh, such as Bell Bowl, represent a tiny fraction of uh, one. There are 148 acres in total across the entire state, in various states of quality. Uh, she she states unequivocally, losing five acres of high quality gravel hill prairie is an unacceptable loss that cannot be mitigated with any effort known to science. You know, Mike, that's so true. And I think it's all about people don't know. Uh, and Aldo Leopold um, said that we only grieve for what we know. And so the prairies continue to die uh, through being paved over or developed or through neglect. So I, I really think that somehow we need, you know, we, we need to get the word out. The airport has no idea what they have. I don't. I don't think so. They nope. and when we try to talk to them, they're they're shutting down. You know, they don't want to hear it. Uh, can we take they, a step back, Carrie? Can we? Can sure. We kind of set the table here as far as, or set the stage for how the airport is involved, where the prairie is. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's do that. And um, I also want to talk a little bit too about at some point about the value of prairie and ecos what are called ecosystem services and although i you know i don't necessarily like to uh just relegate something so special and spiritual uh to a number i think it's also this is the kind of language that some people only understand and and so and, the and, and, and and i can i can give you a real succinct thing again cassie wrote this on, on her blog post mm-hmm. she says uh, Bell Bowl Prairie is slated for almost complete destruction as part of the expansion of the Chicago Rockford International Airport. Um, it's located in the and city this is of Rock- for cargo. Uh, well, this that's what I'm getting cargo. to. I'm getting to this. Um, in the city of Rockford, Winnebago County, the airport's midfield air cargo development plan aims to increase capacity 
for shipping cargo from carriers such as Amazon, UPS, DB Shanker, and Senator International. Um, so that is the plan there. And, and it's interesting, Carrie, that you say they almost, or you think it's possible they don't know what they have there. Um, you and I talked the other day. You said there were some meetings about this. Uh, who who held these meetings? Uh, you mentioned that not a lot of people knew about them. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Sure. So um, before any development is done, uh, a developer needs to go through consultation process with the Illinois Department of Natural Resources. Well, evidently, the airport did do that a couple of years ago, um, but the actual process for notifying the public is now uh, in the in the landscape that we live in now, the media landscape, woefully inadequate. I think they posted a couple of notices in a in a local newspaper hidden somewhere, and no nobody knew about this consultation process. At the time that the consultation process happened with the Illinois Department of Natural Resources, they were a gutted organization. Um, they they had been gutted by the governor. Uh, at that time. Uh, and that was uh, Governor they, Rauner, right? Governor Rauner and previous to that over okay. the years, it's been happening. Our pre, our current governor is really trying to build the DNR back up again. So they didn't, I think they didn't have a lot of capacity and the, the process itself um, is inadequate and also the way the process was carried out did not was not great. Um, they did not the DNR did not inform their local staff, so nobody knew about this until this August when we saw the bulldozers out there. So we called a meeting. The DNR uh, called a meeting uh, and reopened the consultation process after the rusty patched bumblebee had been found by. Uh, one of the heritage biologists up here in the northern region. And so that got a conversation going with the airport again. And I was uh, fortunate to be included in that preliminary meeting with the airport engineers, IDOT, and the IDNR. And uh, we had a conversation about the process, about what was going on. They shared a couple of documents, but not much. Uh, They really don't understand what they have. We're trying to have another meeting set up with the airport to go and take a look out at the prairie. The DNR is trying to set that up. Okay, I'm I'm going to show some maps here. Yes, Peggy. One thing I had read, and maybe I'm jumping ahead, um, was that the airport was saying they had looked at some of the options and this is quote the only place that this expansion can go is through the prairie yeah so we're taking a look at their environmental assessment uh because they did have some alternatives which they Mm -hmm. said were not feasible so we're trying Mm -hmm. to take a look at why were they not feasible so for example were they not feasible because they would cost more maybe Maybe that's, you know, something we want to talk about because when we look about uh, the ecosystem services, for example, uh, on the Defenders of Wildlife Benefit uh, database, 
they say that ecosystem or environmental services provided by prairies is over 300,000 an acre, which totals nearly $8 million for Belleville Prairie in terms of the ecosystem services it provides. And we can talk about those. Yeah, but and have they even looked at that? Yeah, you know, obviously. well, yeah, I don't think they have. When when the the whole environmental assessment process also and the uh, valuation, when people do valuations, those kinds of things are not included. Well, I will, I will add here that uh, you're, you're talking about cost. How is how can anything be worth more than something that's priceless? Um, right. And this is yeah, priceless. Exactly. So mm-hmm. you can't even if you spend money more money than you anticipated someplace else or doing it a different way, you're still spending less money than uh, it costs to maintain that prairie. I mean, uh, maybe I'm not mm-hmm. saying this right, but the prairie's priceless and it, it that outstrips any consideration yeah. you have about cost. Um, you can't just pick it up and move it somewhere. It's yeah. it's there. Yeah. It's irreplaceable. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Mike, do you have the plan at all that you can put up uh, on the screen and Yeah, and and as I bring up uh the plan, um I want to get to Rob because we keep talking here that uh um, and, I, and I'll get you started, and then I, I will bring up uh, the plan, Carrie. Rob, we keep talking here uh, about how people don't understand. You're the communicator guy, all right? Mm-hmm. You're the naturalist, and you talk to people, and your job is to communicate with people. Why don't people understand how valuable this land is? Well, <clears throat> I think it's... it's um... It's it's like Harry said with Aldo Leopold. People don't know they don't have a relationship with a prairie. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was reading a New York Times article about David Foster Wallace, and it was like he moved back to the Illinois prairies that he loved so much. And I, I knew that he was he moved to Bloomington, Illinois. And I was like, what prairies are they talking? Prairie in people's minds is sort of in a national way just means flat area um and it and when you start to enter the world of uh indigenous plants and indigenous animals it's like for me as someone who grew up in illinois lived in illinois my whole life um as an adult i was like i'm I'm stepping into an alien landscape these these flowers look crazy they i don't see these flowers in any gardens uh these insects are weird and beautiful and um they're not around they i don't see them in my everyday life and that's because the things they need to survive are these these remnants and these these places that are maintained in high quality and so people i think we have a pr issue here i think we have an issue where we need to quickly (laughs) in a month get non-nature nerds to understand why a prairie remnant is more special, more valuable than a flat area that probably just has like soybeans on it. Um, And that's a big ask. And some of the things that like we're tossing around is like, you know, this rusty patch bumblebee is a, a federally endangered species. Illinois does not have polar bears or pandas or whales 
that's that's our polar bear. And mm -hmm. if you care about saving things like pandas and polar bears and you live in Illinois, you could do so much more good protecting these last remnants that we have. Um, so another thing that we, we, I'm trying to get people to understand is that 10,000 years in the making of this place is uh, a, an undisturbed by humans, undestroyed by humans area for since the last ice age, since the, the glaciers receded. And that means that like, that's 6,000 years before the great pyramids at Giza were being made. It's like giant sloths and woolly rhinoceros were walking the landscape. You know, it, it, it is a connection to the past that is unlike anywhere else that we have. And because, I mean, like this, this beautiful remnant is between two, two, uh, you know, airstrips. That's not a place you can develop a relationship with, you know, like it's, yeah. it is literally unsafe for you to go there. And yet we have federally endangered bumblebees who can find it and live there uh, despite airplanes coming in and out all the time. Um, that shows its value and why we need more of it. Oh, yeah, there's my picture. Uh, I made teeth <laughs> on, the, on the little runways there. <laughs> To make it look like it's going to chew up Bell Bull because that's that's basically what's going to happen, and uh, I think that in order for this to to stop, uh, we need to have a we have we need to break the surface of um, outside the choir and get people to really understand that this this is our these are our redwoods these are our Great Barrier reefs mm -hmm. these are our alpine meadows you know these are our very special places that if you ever get to the 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 privilege of seeing a remnant it is unlike anywhere else in the world it and it's so hard to describe but it is it has been cooking for 10,000 years and there are certain bees that will besides the rusty patch i'm sure there's a ton of different insects that would be yeah. federally endangered if we could just do the inventories of them Maybe but it's going away there. so fast yeah yeah and yeah. so they they won't make their nests anywhere else. They they won't they won't go into a prairie restoration and make their nests anywhere else. The the remnants we have left, I feel, should not should should be protected uh, in perpetuity without any capability of anyone ever destroying it and a plan to keep them uh, mm -hmm. in high quality and the invasive species away. Um, that is a top priority. And you know some of these. Yeah remnant patches are are uh pioneer graveyards those are the ones that they're that's where they didn't develop is these places where they d buried people and that's where you can find some of these high quality uh remnants and i don't know it's just a it's an I, uphill I, battle I, 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 wait we, we, I, we're, we need to break here peggy so um we'll, okay. we'll we'll get back to this uh conversation um and i want to mention and we'll get to the the rusty patch bumblebee um, there are other plants that are rare that have been found there, including the uh, prairie dandelion, the large-flowered penstemon, which our friend Jeff Scretney apparently um, mm -hmm. located uh, this year. Love so, that iNaturalist, yeah. All right. Uh, we're talking to Carrie Lee from the Natural Land Institute, Rob Telfer, naturalist and poet. Uh, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. More about this when we return.
your time to win our hearts all in let's let the fun begin take a dive take a dive take a Have the ability to give your soil a superpower. It's called composting. If you don't have a backyard, you need to contact Collective Resource Compost. CRC has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. They bring you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter from your kitchen, they swap it out and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. What is this? Oh, Kermit, it's my new ball. I'm talking about this mess. Oh, that was the packaging. You know, Fuzzy, when you buy things that are overpackaged, you create more garbage and hurt the environment. I do? Try to choose products that aren't overpackaged and recycle whenever you can. You mean like this banana peel? You can recycle a banana peel? Sure. Yeah! To find out how you can help, write to Make a Difference, National Wildlife Federation, Washington, D.C., 20036. Isn't comedy wonderful? Yes, it is. Uh, and that's why we have to have the Muppets on every now and then. We get involved in very serious conversations like the one uh, we're having this morning with Carrie Lee from the Natural Land Institute and and Rob Telfer, who is a uh, naturalist and communicator, uh, about saving uh, a prairie in Illinois. And and as we mentioned, there's, there's not a, a lot of them left. Um, so... Uh, the Bell Bowl Prairie is as important as it gets right now. So welcome back to the show. Uh, l- let's pick up. Uh, Peggy, do you remember the question you were going to ask? And then- well, it, it, it was actually not so much question, just as comments to Rob. I think uh, it was very well put of some of the things that you had said right before the break, that the prairies are our reefs. The prairies are our redwood forests. And the rusty patch bumblebee and the large penstemon, those are our polar bears. And those are our things that have become iconic in the yeah. conversation on conservation nationally. And I think it's it's the challenge of getting people to get their, their noses out of Facebook or whatever um, and realize that, yeah, okay, it might not be the redwoods, it might not be the reefs, but this, this is just as important. And I think I hadn't heard it phrased that way, Rob. And I, I just, I really like that that whole yeah. analogy. He's the, that's why yeah, he's the, um, that's why you're the communicator, Rob. Yep. Well, I, I want and, I want and, more people to hear my communication, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, and and I think one thing the word remnant may make it seem less important somehow. So yeah, it Peggy, makes it sound go, like it's like the end. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Carrie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rob. I have a quote from George Fell uh, just about that very thing. If if I could read that, if that's okay. If Absolutely. That's okay. Yes, go for it. Yeah. So George Fell said that we are the generation, the last stage of the conquest of natural areas. Nothing is being saved. 
accept what is deliberately being set aside. The people of the distant past had no concept that we would have the ability to to destroy all that they witness. We are the only ones in the whole history of human race to be faced with this situation. What will history say of us? That is very, very well put. So um, that takes us, because uh, we're, still, we're still plowing through this, and we're still, uh, no pun intended, um, thanks yeah. to John Deere. We mentioned the rusty-patched bumblebee, which is an endangered species, uh, used to be everywhere, used to be omnipresent, and um, now you can't find them in the Midwest. Except, 13 states in one province, yeah, I think. You, um, except at uh, Belle Bull Prairie. Uh, so this particular creature shows up uh, earlier this year, and you can tell it's a rusty patch by the 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 orange or brownish band uh, mm-hmm. on on the, the back, um, and the plans to bulldoze suddenly are halted, but for a short time. Uh, Carrie, can you explain uh, what the situation is at the moment? Um, So the Illinois Department of Natural Resources and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, have limited capacity to protect this. And um, they can protect the bee while it's foraging, but once it goes dormant or goes into its nest, uh, they can't protect the habitat. So, for okay, example, can, can, I, can I stop there? I mean, that just seems insane. That's I isn't mean, it crazy? Isn't yeah. it crazy? So, if you re- do, you remember the birds out in the west and in the trees, and people were staying the in the trees, owl. and they, yeah, the spotted I, owl. They they could actually protect the spotted owl, but they couldn't protect the habitat. So, if the owl left, then there was nothing they could do. So that's crazy to me. That's absolutely insane. It doesn't make any sense. Besides the the bees' nest, there we can't. We haven't found them. They, you know, they go into the earth, into the soil. Uh, so that's another. Well, crazy all right, can thing. I can I stop you there again? It's okay. They go into the earth. They go into the soil, and the bulldozers are going to come. Uh, what's wrong with this picture? Yeah, the, what's wrong with this picture is that our laws do not protect these places they don't right and why they don't protect the places yeah so how and, and we're talking state and federal laws right that's right that's and, right so the u.s fish and wildlife service agreed uh to the department of natural resources request to hold off on construction till november 1st um and what's going to happen uh unless we have a huge public outcry because they can't do anymore. So it's up to us to have this big public outcry and say, Hey, don't do this. Stop. This is really important. So we need to contact our local legislators, the mayor, city of Rockford, our governor, uh, all these people. It's up to us because the um, agencies, the state and the federal agencies can't, to anymore under yeah. their legal authority, um, and uh, I I will and, note that and, we've we've lost Rob. Uh, Rob, if you can still hear us, I would reboot uh, or re-enter here and see if we can get you back. Go ahead, Peggy. Yeah. Um, I just put the link again up for how to cover 
contact Governor Pritzker also off of um, today's blog, and I'll put the link up as well to Cassie Sari's blog. She has all the phone numbers, all the websites, all the emails for uh, customers of the airport, IDNR, Fish and Wildlife Authority. I mean, she just has everything on this page. So, and you, you can know, go- we're really we're really trying to flood the governor because the governor has come out with his thirty by thirty initiative. Uh, so the third, I'm just briefly, the 30 by 30 initiative is a global initiative. Uh, President Biden signed on for the United States and our governor signed on for the state of Illinois. And it's to protect 30% of our natural areas and open space uh, by 2030. So we want to say to the governor, hey, put your money where your mouth is. Let's flood Mm -hmm. the governor with these letters. And um, he's also a big advocate for climate change activities. And mm-hmm. as we know, uh, prairies, the deep-rooted plants store carbon. Uh, so the governor has now got an opportunity to actually stand up for what he has promoted. And it's very easy. The letter's written. You can you can adapt the letter if you want, add things, take things out. Just click mm-hmm. on that, uh, look at the letter, uh, adapt yeah. it if you want to. You can actually copy and paste it, copy then paste the letter into something else, but then you just click on it and it sends the letter to the governor. And and I and would... Uh, the Illinois I, Environmental uh, IEC website. The yeah. Illinois Environmental Council, Yeah. Yeah, it's their uh, uh, their letter, and uh, they make it really easy for you, Peggy. Um, if you could pop that on Facebook yep, as well, I don't I don't know if you I know you've got it. They're in both the up on the feed. Uh, and yeah. Kathleen uh, upstairs, if you could pop that link onto Twitter, um, mm-hmm. that would be great as well. And uh, can't do it on Instagram for various I, reasons. Uh, yes, Rob. Now I've got a question for oh, Rob Peggy, too. Yes. Oh, great, great. Sorry, I, can you I can I just add a, a little? Yeah, go ahead, Rob. I just want to add just a Go quick ahead. thing uh, to the, the George Fell quote that happened right before I got kicked off my internet by my child watching uh, Gigantosaurus um, <laughs> is, uh, is that um, Western society, uh, the, the Western Europeans are the ones who uh, used up everything without a plan for uh, sustainability. Uh, the Native Americans who lived here, um, the Potawatomi and the Ojibwe and the Odawa, they, uh, they had something called the honorable har- harvest where you never took more than your share. You never took, um, something that would not make the, the ecosystem sustain itself. Uh, you would never take the first or the last seed. You would never take the first or the last animal, that you saw and you would never take more than half and the native americans who were here the indigenous folks who were here managed the landscape they they burned it in a way that made the prairies much healthier and with their removal um with the european idea that these are these wild spaces even are are a peopleless place is um is a a, a big source of where we got to where we are and um mm-hmm. E.O. Wilson wrote a book recently uh, called the, the Half Earth and saying, basically, we have to if we're going to make it and if biodiversity is going to make it, we need yeah. to leave half of the planet mm-hmm. to not humans, which is 
in, in some ways sounds like, oh my God, how is that possible? But on the other side, you're like, wait, you're saying one species can have half of a planet uh, where, for all the other millions of species to have the other half. Um, that doesn't seem like a, a big ask, honestly. And so we have five acres that we have the opportunity to save where we are. And um, that, that, that will put a dent, honestly, in, in the, the half that we're, we're assigned to. Well, and of course, we're in a climate crisis. And yes. saving every precious acre of land is important. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have uh, Guy McPherson on the show, uh, professor emeritus from University of Arizona, who very famous for being uh, what some people call a climate alarmist. He thinks we're done. We're all, you know, pack it in. Uh, we missed the boat uh, t- almost 20 years ago. And now let's uh, wait. There's going to be a collapse, and so live out your life uh, as honorably as you can. Um, there are obviously people who think we still have a ch- what? What, Rob? Oh, that just um, stresses me out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it stresses That's out a lot stressful. of people, including Peggy, yeah. who, <laughs> who we'll, we'll have to play a lot of Muppets on that show. Okay, just to counteract uh, Rob Mc, or uh, rather Guy McPherson. Uh, but the point is. Uh, when we save other species, it means we're usually saving habitat. When we save habitat, it usually means we're reducing the carbon that we're putting into the atmosphere. So it's all connected. Yeah. And we need so to it is it. all connected, Mike. You know, uh, it used to be save the owls. It used to be, you know, save the planet. Now it's save us. Oh, Wow, that's that's really good. Okay, well put. All right, let's look here. I want to go to, uh, again, this is... uh, Did did Peggy have her question, though? um, I wanted to answer Peggy's question. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I hope this isn't going down a rabbit hole, Rob. And it's something I saw on your Twitter. So I can't recall if you posted it or if you retweeted it about um, contacting um, Senators Durbin and, and Duckworth about yeah, federal was, funding that had gone to expansions like this. Yeah, that was more more work of Cassie Sari, um, who has really been just very good at bringing together all of the like legal exposition we need to understand where we are and how we got to this moment. But yes, uh, Senator Durbin recently championed uh, a bill to bring more um, economic growth to the state, including the expansion of the airport. And Cassie's point, and I agree, is that he probably didn't know that this expansion was imperiling uh, one of the last uh, high, you know, remnants uh, that we have left. And the question is, do they know that now? Does Governor Pritzker know this now? Um, often we think it's it's a simple matter. Just contact the governor, contact the senators, and, and they will do something. But they're, in some ways, they're insulated from this sort of appeal they're isolated they hear that from they do hear about it and they they don't have the time they have to prioritize Mm -hmm. yeah well okay the rockford mayor who who there was a cassie covered something with the rockford mayor and she's kind of like well okay but it's not my i can't do anything about it yeah isn't the board elected isn't the airport board elected or or appointed i think they're appointed they're appointed so, and that's, so and there that's, could be like a snap election uh, that gets them all unappointed. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think of anything we can do 
to stop this thing. And yeah, the, the politicians, we have to scream at them. We have to get their attention. And it, it sucks because we can't like, there's no redwood that we can chain ourselves to, you know, we can't chain ourselves to like a, a large flowered penstemon um, mm-hmm. because the, the chains wouldn't hold. Um, and so we don't have like, the, we don't have the sort of tools that maybe someone in the, the Pacific Northwest would have for fighting these kinds of destructions. Um, well, uh, and- I having had a home out in the Pacific Northwest for 17 years, I don't now, but I did. Um, I know something about that issue, too, and the leverage was not as great as you think. I mean, the, the loggers yeah. are, are, are a uh, very strong lobby out there, um, it, pr- perhaps less so than in the 90s when they were uh, – I would see driving on the roads out there, I would see uh, spotted owls hung in effigy. This was the reaction to trying to protect the, yeah. the, uh, the owl, and it meant – certain areas could not be logged and uh, i have said this many many times if um i become emperor first thing that happens is old growth logging stops across the country you never ever cut down an old growth tree again and if you do you go to jail um and i know that's impossible and it's and it's crazy to some people but that's the way this is how dire it is we have two percent of our old growth forests left uh, you know, and that's a different ecosystem than the one we're talking about here. But it's it's comparable. It's all about remnants. It's it all, is. It's all about the 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 places that humans like like we have. We we have to work with what we've already done. Yeah. You know, like we we have to to make do with the the places we've already developed. Um, it'd be one thing if the planet's natural resources were endless, and it'd be one thing if um, self renewing. Yeah, if we had. 50% left to, to work with now with uh, a sort of advanced idea of ecology. We yeah. don't. And so I, I agree. If I, if and when you're the emperor, I, I would ask that any, uh, any remnant, um, anything. Oh, you know, and, that, and, and you and I talked about this the other day, Rob, was, was how do we get a law passed that says you are not allowed to touch a remnant, period, done, whether it's private or, or public. Um, I mean, I, I, that's but, impossible, too, I'm pretty sure. But Carrie's point is true, where it's like, okay, you protect this thing, but who's going to take care of it? You, you can't just leave it alone. You need stewards. You need the landowner to be invested in it. That you don't you don't want them to have a an adversarial relationship to this thing, where exactly. they do hang owls in effigy. You know, it's yeah. how do we how do we convince them that what they have is worth way more than whatever they plan on doing with it? And I, I don't know that that's like convincing people to get vaccinated. Um, which is, <laughs> which is a conversation we had before the show. It's like, how yeah. do we express the importance of the prairie? Well, how do you express the importance of getting vaccinated and protecting the population? We can't seem to get that message across. So the prairie seems a lot harder. That seems like a yeah. much more difficult haul. Um, let's take, we've got just a few more minutes left. I want to pop this up here. This is again, uh, Cassie Sari. Thanks to her. She's just been uh, doing yeoman's work on this uh, issue. Uh, look at, this is the, the red area you see uh, outlined there is the uh, area that they want to develop. The Belbo Prairie is uh, uh, in the dark black line, uh, including the blue and the green. The green is the high quality area. Now, it's just amazing that it just, uh, as you pointed out uh, earlier, Rob, it's sandwiched between a couple of runways. It, it looks like its destruction here is inevitable. 
Um, yeah. But uh, y- you can see, uh, and, and there are other maps here. Hold on. Let me find. Uh, these and, are... and while Mike's pulling that up, what's the difference between high quality and moderate quality? So That's a good question, uh, Carrie. something that has the high, highest quality is the INAI site, and it has very much less degradation. So, for example, a moderate quality area may have been disturbed in some way uh, in the past so that you don't have the numbers of uh, native plant species there, for example. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. And Maybe here... the soil was disturbed. Here's and that's a... go ahead. The bell, the bell bowl is in that. The actual bowl is in that kind of blue area, and it has great historical significance as Camp Grant uh, from World War One and World War Two. And they used to the bowl. I think was excavated out, it, 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 or it may have been a natural amphitheater. I'm not sure uh, where they had a lot of meetings. So that was disturbed in the past. There's been a lot of recovery, but it's not as high quality as the area in the green. All right, okay, and thanks. here's an, an aerial view. And, and, and let me go back to, uh, if you look at the, the snake-like uh, area there, you can see it uh, on this as well. Um, right in the center of your screen, it, it's in red and gray. And this is approximately, it looks like 1978. It's really hard to read uh, that. Uh, um, that font. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. Um, and we can go back even... Further, okay, so this is also, I believe this is also 1978. It's just a, a different set of, uh, uh, here's here's the one. Here's yeah, the one old for, survey? Yeah, here's one from 1810. And you can still see the, the snaky area there and the development, uh, lack of it at, at the time. And it's so, labeled prairie on this old survey map, even back then. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're, we're uh, I'm just uh, showing the map to give you a sense of it, but it, the problem is with the development that's there now, there is a, uh, a sense of inevitability um, about it that you guys are fighting. You're, you're, you're salmon swimming upstream, it seems, right now. Although, again, as I mentioned, Good metaphor. Um, uh, I use it a lot in my life, believe me. Um, <laughs> I, I feel... <laughs> I feel like a coho most of the time. Um, and um, But as I mentioned, what encourages me is the response. In just the last yeah. few days, looking at the site, and, and folks should know, there's, uh, if, if you're into Facebook, there's a, there's a Facebook uh, page called Save Bell Bowl Prairie. It's already got 600 people, 637 members, and there's going to be a lot more before this is all in said and done. All said and done, and 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 it has a lot of links to the places we've been talking about today, including the Natural Land Institute. Um, so, um, I'm seeing uh, a reaction. Will it be a time? Will it be enough? Will it be in time? And maybe this is an opportunity for us to. Well, I don't want to get there yet, but there, if we lose Bell Bowl, um, there is a lot we can do in its in its memory and its martyrdom. Uh, a question I had for Carrie, though. So, okay, so they have stayed the um, the execution um, 
for a month because the rusty patch bumblebee was found on site foraging and they're like okay well when the foraging season's done then then we can develop um which is nuts to me because that sounds like oh well we're not going to kill you when you're awake we'll we'll wait till you're asleep to kill you um what would happen if they were able to find like overwintering rusty patch bumblebee queens you know like i know that's almost impossible to do yeah um but is there a, a chance that the endangered species could permanently protect this place? Uh, there's a, there is a chance. However, I do want to say that since 9-11 and the Homeland Security uh, stuff that's going on with airports, uh, there's no trespassing signs. They're not letting anybody on there. And because it's on the airport, it's a felony to trespass there. Um, so unless they let us out there to find that, um, mm. it's not going to happen. And, uh, they're really not letting anybody out there. And, uh, this popped up, I saw on the Facebook page just yeah. the other day, it says airport property. Now that's a temporary sign. And it looks to me as though the airport authority is digging in their heels, girding their loins for what might happen in the near future. And they're going to intimidate people with the sign that, Hey, I mean, is that part of the prairie behind it? I don't know. I don't know. Yes. 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 So, so it is. Yeah. So they are being, uh, they've got airport security. Uh, yeah, they're being very, um, and and I I wish that we didn't have, yeah, I wish that it, it could not be adversarial. I wish we could have like a just a regular old conversation about it. Um, and maybe it's that that's still an opportunity. But I feel like uh, the silence and the sort of um, response already is just very, it's not encouraging. It, it doesn't sound like they're good faith listeners. Well, uh, we need to wrap this up. Before we go, I need to do some attribution. Um, We had a a photo here by Juan Pablo Ramirez Franco um, from the uh, NPR station, Northern Illinois, um, and some other photographs, and I don't know whether they were taken by Joni Danker or Jack White, uh, but um, I want to thank uh, you, uh, Carrie, for letting me use those uh we also had some from your friend chris is it rice is that how you pronounce it uh, rob yes mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, um, from chris. so yeah. a lot of the photos you saw today um uh we're saying oh and there was a uh and i don't know if i'm going to be able to find uh so chris is one of our uh volunteers he's a steward on one of our sites at Colmandel's uh nature preserve uh if anybody's interested in volunteering, the Natural Land Institute is Conservation Land Trust, 501c3. We have a lot of volunteers uh, who do uh, stewardship with our preserves. Uh, so go to naturalland.org and sign up mm-hmm. to be a volunteer. Uh, and I want to thank Liz Anna Kozik, who also provided some of the maps. Yeah we saw today. So a lot of you recognize these names. These are the people who are working in the trenches right now. Choir, man. <laughs> What's that? It's the choir. And yeah. we need the choir needs to sing so loud that the people outside the church can hear us. And that's, that's for the next month. That's what we got to do is we got to, 
Yeah, I get hurt outside the church. We're going to follow up on this, as, especially as we get to November 1st, because that is D-Day, apparently. I mean, they could they could wipe out that prairie in an afternoon. Um, yeah, and uh, 10,000 the, years. We, we saw the, uh, the bulldozer, a shot of the bulldozer there already. I guess they've removed them for now, probably to, again, hmm. intimidating uh, or threatening. Uh, who knows? But uh, folks need to uh, write to the governor, write... Uh, you know, if if you want to uh, uh, contact the Greater Rockford Airport Authority, that would be a good thing. Um, I, I would say go to Save Bell Bowl Prairie on Facebook uh, or go to the Natural Land Institute. You guys have all of this information uh, up there and various ways that people can respond. So, uh, Yeah, and we, we've set up a work group uh, to strategize actions. All right. Well, I, right. I, I, I hope you keep me posted, please. We're, we're always uh, eager to help, uh, help out. And, um, and we will, because we've got a few weeks uh, to, to settle this question. Uh, there's no need yeah. for this prairie to go away. Uh, I yeah. will. And we're, we're planning a rally in Rockford in a couple of weeks. So we'll let you Great. know all about it. Tell you what, get cheap trick, get them there, get them to play <laughs> uh, and, tell, you know, get a little publicity out of it. I know. Sorry. Uh, Carrie, <laughs> Carrie Lee and Rob Telford, thank you so, so very much and uh, coming on the show in a, in a very short time setting this up. Uh, we appreciate it. Much work. appreciated. So thank you so much. Okay. And yeah. don't forget to share thank the you YouTube uh, uh, video. We'll have yeah. it posted at the end of the show. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. When we come back, we're talking local food. So please stick around. Looking for a career with growth potential? Do you yearn to learn and prosper? Want to be a true innovator and industry leader? Look no further. We're Bartlett Tree Experts. We've been growing strong for well over 100 years, and we're just getting started. Discover why we have an unmatched reputation for service and ingenuity that have made us the official tree care service for many of the nation's and the world's most prestigious clients. Our people thrive in a safety-first, entrepreneurial, promote-from-within environment. Bartlett employees receive industry-leading training at our state-of-the-art research laboratories and education facility in Charlotte, North Carolina. At Bartlett, opportunity grows on trees. Through our foundation, we invest in the education of students of arboriculture, horticulture, forestry, and related fields. Employment opportunities are endless at Bartlett Tree Experts. Those who join the Bartlett team tend to love it here. Bartlett really opened my eyes to what's involved with arboriculture and all the aspects of tree care. As a plant health care specialist with Bartlett, I am able to apply what I've learned at school on a day-to-day -day basis. We offer some of the most competitive benefits in the industry, including paid holidays and vacations, medical and dental benefits, a 401k plan, life insurance, and much more. For over 100 years, Bartlett Tree Experts has been unrivaled in innovation and the tremendous opportunity it makes possible. Our cutting-edge thinking fosters a culture where breakthrough ideas become real-world solutions and our employees become respected leaders. Visit Bartlett.com to learn more about some of our exciting career options. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a sip-son of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. 
here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn serene. Ah, it occurs to me as I play that song that is something that Bob Benenson needs. Uh, you need uh, your your own theme, Bob. And he needs that, a theme song. That would be a good one for you. Um, I can I can rent that out to you at a very modest fee, even though I don't own the rights. I was singing along. Oh, okay. Go uh, yeah, I, I was definitely singing along. Uh, I was also thinking maybe food, glorious food from Oliver. True. There we go. That's fried green tomatoes. Uh, fried green tomatoes. That would be good. Yeah, but see, I like There's this so one. Because... We should just do an entire show about food songs. Food I songs. Wish, there we go. I wish I could. I get away with this one. I'm really not sure why. Uh, probably <laughs> because nobody's heard it. Um, yeah, I know. Be very, very <laughs> quiet. <laughs> Can I add one thing in before we move into this new topic? Yeah. This hour? So... Uh, Reading through the comments, some people are like, well, what can we do? How can we get involved? And this sounds self-promotional, but it really isn't. Um, be sure to like and share this broadcast. Share the YouTube. Um, share the social media with all of your connections. It's it's awareness. And, you know, the more we can get the word out, um, copy that link and share it with people from the last hour. And copy from Bob, too, but... Yeah, no, this, this is how you help. If uh, you can get this out, then people click on and they see the conversation. And because we talked about so many things in the course of an hour, um, one of them might appeal to you. Uh, the other thing, I'm glad you, you said that because I haven't even looked at the comments. Uh, I've been so focused on putting photos and talking to our guests. Yeah. Um, Sue, uh, Susan Jensen writes, I saw the Green Living Expo commercial during your break and wanted to make sure folks know it has changed to being a fantastic yeah. virtual event that everyone should attend. Um, you can go to mchenry.edu slash Green Expo. Uh, it's November 6th, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. It's uh, online. And we actually do say that at the end of the commercial. The commercial they gave us, was from several months ago they put together uh and yeah. we agreed to run it um and then i modified it at the end mm -hmm. so folks know it's a virtual event um yeah. and unfortunately at the beginning of the uh, of the uh, the video it, it it does indicate that things are going to be uh, uh on location but that that has changed and uh i think it's very smart of them i i, I really do and she says and sustainability director kim hankins will be on the show in a couple of weeks to talk yep. about in a couple of weeks we're going to talk to kim hankins she's really enthused about it and there's four unique tracks renewable energy waste reduction food and farming fun and recreation um and so uh i we hope you're all part of it because we love the folks at uh, mchenry county college so sorry bob we needed something to, for, to, to pop something that for bob no, to cover. I, I actually thank you because um i will promote that in the newsletter they uh, um, they do a fantastic job up there yeah. their their events are always top notch i uh, i think you will appreciate it and especially when we can get back um to uh, live events which like I said, 2027, we'll be there, something like that, okay? Uh, <laughs> but the good news is you can still go to farmer's markets and feel safe. Um, I mean, that was one of the 
the pluses of 2020, I mean, we were all masked at the farmer's markets. Now we're beginning to understand that probably is not necessary. Although, do some farmer's markets still uh, ask for masks? It's optional at most. Um, some ask that people do it. A lot of the market managers will wear masks to try and be right. an example. Mm-hmm. It is outdoors, and I mean, even during the first three waves of, um, of COVID, you know, most of us realized that uh, being outdoors and not in close, you know, face-to-face contact with people was pretty safe, and almost everybody I know who goes to a farmer's market has been vaccinated. Some do have special um, mask-only hours. I mean, it used to be the other way around, where people who didn't uh, didn't want to come in contact with people not wearing masks would have a special period early in the day. Then they flipped it. So if uh, you uh, only want want to wear a mask, you can show up. And then if you don't mind mingling with people, aren't that's the rest of the market day. So you know we're we're still feeling our way through this this craziness. But uh, like you said, Mike, uh, last year you know for those of us who are really engaged in this. The fact that the farmers markets were able to reopen a little bit late, but they were open for most of the season, was you know our link to Saturday. It really was. Yeah, it was, uh, it was our link to the old normal, where we got to do things that we'd love to do, and we got to see friends, and we got to see the uh, the, the farmers and people in the business that we know. So, so yeah, we're it. it, it this has been a, a full season, and it's been great. And there's one full month left, and a few markets that are going to carry on into. November, and then we'll talk about uh, the uncertainties about the indoor market season. Right, right. Uh, a little bit more about the outdoor. Uh, you mentioned masks, but some of the rules changed about handling food, uh, and and I and some of those rules stayed in effect for twenty twenty one, didn't they? Um, for the most part, no. Oh, um, okay. I mean, uh, um, in most. Farmers markets. Everyone I've been to, you've been able to handle your own food, pick your yeah. own food. Um, it uh, that was one that was really hard to understand. It was established. I mean, remember early in COVID, we were bringing our groceries home and wiping them down with, you know, oh, fantastic yeah. and stuff. Like that. Oh God, um, it was really bizarre. Yeah, but um, it became pretty well established that COVID virus doesn't have a very long lifespan outside human body and um it once the grocery stores reopened you would go in there and you could handle all the produce you want there was nobody watching you telling you not to do that right they weren't spraying it down afterwards so why a separate rule for farmers markets it's the same food um so um it carried on through all the 2020 season but most of the markets lifted that this year and that's good i mean for those of us who are in really inveterate local food uh, and farmer's market shoppers, we want to pick our own stuff. I mean, that's one of the privileges to go into the But, but, you know, we still still have this, uh, uh, these rules about hand washing and sanitizer. and uh, sure. um, And um, some of it is Kabuki Health Theater. um, And um, it, because we know it's the aerosol that um, causes, it spreads the disease. Um, and it, we, we're still in that in-between area where we're trying to figure out what makes sense and now what is, uh, overdone. Um, 
And yeah, totally. You know, you know, I went, uh, I go to a lot of concerts. I love classical music particularly. And so I went to a lot of the Grand Park Music Festival concerts this year. And people wearing masks outdoors during the concerts were an exception to a rule. Indoors, uh, the indoor season has started at places like Music of the Baroque and Chicago Symphony Orchestra and, and Lyric Opera. And they're requiring mask wearing inside because people are going to be indoors mm-hmm. in, in in close quarters for an extended period of time. And I support that. I mean, I've been to several, a few indoor concerts now. It's not really that big an inconvenience. I mean, let's face it, we've been wearing these cloths of little pieces of paper over our faces for a year and a half now. So if you're not used to it yet, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, it cuts down on the flu season, the cold season, then as well. So, well, 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 totally. And I mean, uh, the, you know, the public service announcement. You know, I, I totally support everybody getting vaccinated. I think we're hindering the recovery of the country and getting past this pandemic. If you don't, um, I've had my two shots back in the spring. No ill effects. Most people I know have, you know, maybe a day, a bad day. No ill effects. Now it's flu season. You, yeah, you, Mike, you did. I, I got knocked out for twenty four hours. Yeah, um, yeah. But then you're 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 over it. And, uh, it right, and, and the and I, the very next day, I was like ninety percent back. So it really did. Yeah, exactly. Exa- exactly. And you know what they say is, if you have a reaction, that's your body working to. And some people are actually action. using that as an excuse not to get the shot, which is nuts. It's like. You know, come on! You can you you can't deal with um, some fever and chills for for fifteen or twenty four hours, uh, whatever it takes, and then you're done and you move on. It's it it's that's not a lot to ask to protect other people around you. I know I don't want to go on a crazy tangent, but you can tell by you know all this gray that I'm old enough to have grown up in the uh, polio vaccine uh, era. And I mean, those those scientists were heroes, and everybody rushed to get it because they wanted to beat this disease. I got to ask you a question Please. about that. Is uh, when I was a kid, you were not supposed to play in the street if it was flooded because you could get polio. That that was what we, our parents always told us. Oh no no, don't run barefoot really? in the streets because you'll get polio. Don't you didn't have that, huh? No no no, we didn't we didn't have that. But the, anybody that, else that, watching that, it right it, now? It, 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 in, maybe in, that in, was a Queen. Detroit area thing. Oh, oh maybe it was just yeah, my, in, my crazy in parents. Queens, we didn't run barefoot in the streets very much anyway. So yeah. <laughs> I, I can distinctly um, remember that. No, 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 no. You're going to get polio if you, you wade in the streets. They just didn't but, want you, you wading know, in the streets, Mike. That's all. Well, that's probably yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. You can get other things running around barefoot <laughs> in the street. Um, all but, right. Back uh, to farmer's markets. <laughs> yeah. Back to farmer's markets. Uh, so, so, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, the the rules, you know, there there's still rules. There are still safety rules, but it's it's a lot. It's very close to the old normal, and that's great because uh, we you know uh, really farmers markets and the whole local food community actually got a big boost during the, this COVID era. I mean, especially at the beginning when the great American industrial food machine broke down for the first time ever. I mean, generations of people never knew a time when you couldn't just, whenever you wanted to, go to a grocery store, get anything you want. Right. And then all of a sudden, the supply chains were disrupted, and they still are. I mean, you go to some supermarkets now, don't want to name names, but uh, you'll you'll find empty shelves. 
Well, and, uh, and, uh, and I'm going to say that? I've been reading in the last, and I saw an, uh, a story on the national news. Um, everybody's worried about, not everybody. People are, some people are worried about the supply chains as we get into the holidays and they're expecting yeah. problems. There are ships that are stacked outside of Los Angeles. Totally. Uh, can't get in uh, trains, uh, trucks. They can't find truckers to drive. I mean, this is a worldwide problem, but mainly in the United States, we're not equipped to handle this. Uh, our infrastructure, oh, there's that word, infrastructure, is not operating as well as it should. No, it totally is not. And, um, I mean, that's going to affect prices. I mean, uh, the economists are warning that the price of gifts is going to be like 20% higher this year. And even in the food area, I mean, turkey raisers were warning Get your orders in early. I just put a deposit down on, on October 2nd for my Thanksgiving turkey with Jake's Country Meats at, uh, at Green City Market. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and especially, they say, for smaller turkeys because now people aren't having these big family meals the way they were because they're still being cautious about COVID. So we're two people and we're only feeding two people. We need a smaller turkey. And there are a lot of people who are just like that. So they're saying, get those orders in early if you if you want to make sure that uh, you're able to get a Thanksgiving turkey. Because otherwise, they're, they're, they may sell out. There may be shortages. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, uh, one of the things that has uh, changed uh, th- that you noticed this year, in, in addition to the uh, supply chain, is the weather. And what that's producing in terms of <laughs> rolling your eyes, that's funny. It, um, it is the crazy, uh, my, my, Mike, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. And I think everybody who's in this mm-hmm. agricultural farming, farmer's market community will say the same thing. I mean, um, yesterday I went to Green City and I went to several markets during the week. Um, I captured a, a, a photo that has sweet corn sitting next to winter squash, sitting next to pumpkins with you know, t- bins of apples in the background. So the, you talk about a Venn diagram of the growing seasons. They're totally overlapped now. We saw that early in the season too, because we had a cooler spring. Oh, there. Thank you, Mike. I mean, is, is, mm-hmm. is that, is that a crazy sight? Who's ever seen that before? I mean, it's not just like. A and you're missing of raspberries in the photo, Bob. Oh, oh well, they, they, there's raspberries in another photo. <laughs> Well, I'll find so, that one too. I've got that here. Find that one too. Yeah, uh, tomatoes are in tremendous abundance in early mm-hmm. October. Yeah, there, there's the raspberries and and the blueberries and with the grapes and the apples and more typical uh, fall fruits and the at McClute uh, and... stand at uh, at Green City Market. It's unprecedented, and so we're still trying to grasp what the ultimate impacts of global climate change are on our agricultural region. And it may t- t- take a permanent hold. I mean, people, you know, agronomists and, uh, and um, uh, climatologists have been warning for years that the southern growing region is rising north and that the uh, Chicago growing region already is much more like St. Louis, which is about 300 miles south. And that that's going to keep encroaching unless we get uh, global climate change under control. I got to. I have to tell uh, you. I'll interrupt just for a second. I've got tomatoes, yeah. tomatoes setting fruit, uh, in the first of October. Yeah, yeah. In my backyard. And because I mean, 
uh, you know, talk, you'll talk to Rick uh, DeMeo a little, in, a, in a little bit. But uh, right now, there's no signs of sweater weather. I mean, uh, the yeah. uh, today may be the lowest temperature in the next week or so, and it's still near 70. So, I mean, uh, uh, you're, you're, you're having... But, and you know, and the high humidity with it. With high humidity, yeah. So, I mean, it's really hard to say what the ultimate impact of this is. I mean, um, in terms of severe weather, um, there were some terrible situations this year. I mean, back in June, there were flooding rains in the southern part of our region, you know, central Illinois. And uh, there was one farm, the Cook Farm, which I I know that you uh, uh, talked about on your show. And they were completely flooded out. They lost their property. Right. uh, through until Illinois. other farmers um, had losses. Well, they're right. They're near Bloomington. And they're right off I-39. You drive two hours north on I-39 into northern Illinois mm-hmm. or southern Wisconsin, and they're in a severe drought. Right. Yep. And they were in drought most of the season. So, in terms of those kind of old predictabilities, um, you know that there was a defined winter, spring, summer, and fall that farmers could depend upon. That's gone. I mean, it's it's disappeared, but it's going to have a mixed bag of impacts. I mean, I'm sure that there are a lot of people who are going to the farmers market tomorrow and seeing these tomatoes in abundance in in, in, in October, and uh, they're seeing tomatoes in abundance, and they're seeing berries still abundant, and they're seeing sweet corn still out there in big bins, and they're saying, "Woo, you know, this is great, this is great." (laughs) But it's also weird. It's strange and it's a little bit scary because we just don't really know what the long-term implications is. Is it a fluke? I mean, that's the difference between weather and climate. And climate. Yeah, I mean, and the climate variability. The result, right. This is the result of weather. It only becomes climate if it becomes a long-term change. So yeah. we have no idea where, where, where we're going with this and what it yeah, and, and, and how do farmers, you know, how do you plan for next year? That, Will the same thing happen? That's the big question. I mean, do you stop growing some of the cooler weather crops and invest in tomatoes? And then what happens next year? All yeah. of a sudden, it's snowing in yeah. September or I, something I, like that. I, yeah, I think you kind of stay the course and just see how this is going to yeah. play out for right now. Next question. Yeah, I was going to ask that too. Go ahead, uh, Peggy. From from Jeannie, Jeannie Davis, who writes, in our farmer's market's going to continue later if the weather stays like this. Or are they committed to a date of closure? Kind of in general, because each one obviously is different. Yeah, that's a great question. And um, there are several markets, a handful, that have already announced an extension through uh, through just before Thanksgiving. Green City Market in Lincoln Park is going to run until November 20th. Um, Lincoln Park uh, uh, Farmers Market, uh, Lincoln Square Farmers Market, rather, is extending into November. Um I'm not sure about Evanston yet. Logan Square is supposed to close at the end of October, but if they can't find a suitable indoor location for the off-season, by the end of October, they're going to extend their outdoor season also to November 21st. So, um, yeah, there may be more announcements. Who knows? I mean, uh, this is all about, you know, if the farmers are growing excess summer crops or even fall crops are, you know, in, in abundance, there's money to be made there. They got to do something. 
with their products. So there might be that, or the far, individual farmers might do drops in strategic locations around the city, which is more typically done in the in the winter season. Um, so yeah. the answer is um, there will be a few. Um, we will be reporting them on local food forums, so make sure to get it. That's yeah. So one of the features is, is a weekly schedule. Yeah, give Bob you, the ding. yeah, I'll give him a ding and, and let folks know that that's where they go, localfoodforum.substack.com. And um, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but uh, do you have any more uh, information about which markets are, are going, to, are most of them going to the end of the month? Because sometimes in the past, it seems to me they've closed in mid-October. No, there's, there's a gradual fall off. Uh, there mm-hmm. are still going to be quite a few that are open for that last weekend in October, but uh, each week, there are gonna be a few dozen that fall off and then it accelerates. You know, it's kind of the reverse of the early season cycle where there were a handful at the beginning of May and then a yeah. few more and a few more and a few more and then all of a sudden in June, everyone was open. Yeah. So, so it, how, it's all, yeah, go ahead, Peggy. Go ahead. I was gonna say, so how are we looking then on transitioning to indoor markets this year when, when all of the COVID questions are still out there? It, there's a lot still up in the air, and 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 yeah. Just just to be clear, there are very few winter markets even under the old normal. You know, uh, uh, mostly you know, the growing season has typically been May, May to October. So again, here's an implication of climate change. Will that change? Another factor is that a lot of farmers, you know, the the hoop house technology, indoor growing. The, the, uh, it's become so much more sophisticated yeah. and more and the and more storage grants. Yeah. Right. And more and more uh, farmers are capable of this. And with the rise of e-commerce that was accelerated by COVID, because, you know, remember at the beginning of uh, the last growing season, the farmers markets weren't open yet and nobody knew if they would be. So a lot of farmers, uh, you know, transition very quickly to selling online, doing home delivery or drops. Um, uh, some of the farmers markets participated in that too. For instance, Green City work, works with this What's Good site, and they do that year round. And um, uh, they uh, and so so the market aggregates products from individual producers, and they're delivered or or picked up. Green City, for many years, had a winter farmers market in the Peggy Notabart Nader right. Nature Museum. Yeah. Um, they don't know, what, still don't know with certainty what they're going to do this year. They do know that the Peggy Notabart Center is not going to be suitable because the um, passageways are too small. There's no way of social distancing yeah. there. Everybody's very closely, uh, was always very closely packed in there. So um, whether they find another location whether they just do maybe a monthly um, market or occasional markets uh, in, in, in some location, or just go with what's good, the, the online platform is mm-hmm. up in the air. Logan Square, as I mentioned, they're having an issue trying to find a suitable indoor location. Um, so will they? Um, I don't know. Last year, what they did, they originally had an indoor location, but there was a dispute with a, a grocer who was in the same building and they didn't want a farmer's market there. So they basically got... I remember that. Yeah, that was... Uh, their okay. contract got canceled. 
So anyway, uh, we've got just like a, a, a couple of minutes here. And so uh, I, I want to get some of the other photos because you take great photos. And also going to farmer's markets to take photos means there's going to be a lot of color uh, in them. So you got like 15 seconds per photo here to explain what we're looking at. Those are carrots. That's a typical fall crop. Uh, this is from Iron Creek Organic Farm in uh, Laporte, Indiana. Um, again, you can see in the background those bell peppers. They're they're having a second life here in uh, in uh, broccoli all the October. But um, but yeah, and then you can see. And you're right. One of the things I've always loved from the photographer standpoint is the brilliant colors of this. I mean, it's it's like an artscape. And there's there's those peppers but you know the peppers themselves are eating like eating the rainbow you got red you got yeah. green you got purple you got yellow yeah and the then eggplants the right, and the summer squash and the summer yeah again summer squash um and, and maybe, maybe we ought to call it summer and fall squash because yeah. uh, it's also in abundance at the same time apples that's one of our favorite fall crops yeah. and uh nichols farm and orchard uh, from marengo Illinois, near near rockford always has the biggest variety of different apple varieties, including some fairly obscure and, and, and um, uh, uh, heritage um, uh, uh, types. Um, and every, every week, you, every time you go to the market, there are more varieties uh, at Nichols. Here you got kale and beets, also typical fall crops, and those bell peppers uh, hiding under the table <laughs> and in the background. Yeah, love uh Love beets. Uh, my beet crop was not good, but I don't really have enough sun to, in my yard mm-hmm. to do a decent beet. Although I had some good ones last year. This year, it was not so much. Um, and the, our tomatoes yeah. were down, too, as well. Uh, last year, we were, excuse me, trying to figure out how to can and and, and preserve them. Now, well, they're lined up there. We've got just enough, and we have a tomato with almost every meal, and they'll... We're not going to have to worry about the uh, excess stuff this year. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's a little it's a little bit different every year, even under normal circumstances. But one thing I, you know, for your audience, and, 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 and to the extent on that answer before, I will be uh, uh, aggregating information about um, delivery services, farms that deliver directly uh, to consumers, and uh, publish that on a regular basis after the farmer's market season uh, uh, tails off, um, it's hugely important. I mean, we're getting to the point where local food and access to local food is becoming year-round. And, yeah. you know, we always want to encourage people to continue to buy local. And, All if, right. and if it's available uh, 24-7, 365, that's better for everybody. Right, and uh, we even have our indoor farm here. We got uh, the mason jars planted. We got our Happy Leap uh, LED grow lights uh, going and um, you know I've got basil and chard and arugula and mixed greens um, and we can always augment uh, a salad uh, in uh, um, for our dinner or lunch uh, we're out yeah. of time uh, always great to see you Bob uh, again folks go to localfoodforum.substack.com it's right there you can find the link uh, at mikenovak.net in the blog post as well and I'm sure Peggy has put it up in the, yep. the chat room I'm, I'm also just so you know check your email on the break i'm sending you a whole bunch of new things from rick oh, oh sounds great. no 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 not not you bob she's talking to me it's like i'll well, i'll send them to me too I, I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a weather junkie. okay <laughs> all right well that means we got to get to the commercial so i can try to load in one or two of them uh bob we'll talk to you very soon 
We'll talk to you soon. Hopefully we'll do a little pre-Thanksgiving. Something. Yeah, Bye. I like a little pre-Thanksgiving. That sounds great. Um, all right. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, meteorologist Rick DeMaio, who just sent us uh, a, a bunch of stuff. Oh, boy. Uh, is next. You can help slow climate change in 2021 by composting. And you don't even need a backyard. By composting communally in multi-unit buildings across Chicagoland, Collective Resource Compost has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. This guy's a real jerk. He always acts like he's the only one in the preserves. This jerk is a trail hog. Whether he's on bike or on foot, not only does this jerk walk down the middle of the trail, but his music is so loud he's oblivious to others. On your right, jerk! Sometimes there's an entire family of jerks four wide on the trail. Hey, jerk, pay attention to your kids. That's not what we meant. People should travel on the right and let others pass on the left. But that's not how this family of jerks rolls. Hey, jerk, this is a terrible place to take a photo. Acting like you own the trail is rude and could have disastrous consequences. Zigzagging on a trail? Yeah, that's a jerk move. It's important for adults to teach kids proper trail etiquette, which is the exact opposite of what you're doing, jerk. We encourage people to slow down and check out wildlife, but this is one heck of a jerk move. It's fantastic that so many people use the district's trail systems, but it's important to follow basic trail rules. Failure to do so can not only ruin the experience for everyone else, but also can be dangerous. So, don't be a jerk. Hang on, hang on. I was—I just got an email that I was trying to address, uh, which means that I didn't have uh, the right screen up here. So let's go. You were multitasking. I was multitasking in here. And so while are. you're doing that, I do want to um, just say what, what we said before that the uh, McHenry County County McHenry County College Green Living Expo is indeed virtual yep. on November sixth, and uh, we will be talking with Kim Hankins about that in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and I just got a, a notice from uh, Anne Marie uh, Drusky at uh, the Illinois Landscape Contractors Association, uh, and I sent it to you, Peggy, so you can post the link. Um, she did. She said she didn't want to take over the uh, comment, hijack the comment section, and I'm like, you should do it. Hijack it. It's okay. Uh, the uh, Impact Conference is coming up on October 12th at the mm-hmm. Chicago Botanic Garden, um, and they're doing a discount promo uh, for this weekend. Anyone who wishes to register can use the code Flash Friday and receive 15 bucks off their registration feeds. The code is good until Monday, October 4th, um, so that's uh, tomorrow. Uh, so uh, if you do that, and you can go to uh, www.ilca.net slash impact hyphen conference, but Peggy's going to put that up there so uh, you can see that. So 
I uh, just wanted to get that out because I happened to spot it in the inbox. Good morning, Rick DeMaio. Hey, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Peg. How are you today? Uh, good. Good. Uh, really interesting stuff on the show today. I don't know if you saw the last segment, but uh, our food guy, Bob Benenson, was talking about what a crazy year it's been because of all the different uh, foods that are appearing together because of weather. So raspberries have made a, a reappearance. We've got corn still out there and peppers, and that's mm. with the squash and the fall, the apples, and it it's like the, the seasons have done this kind of thing. And uh, I was wondering if you had a comment on that. Um, I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not surprised that we're seeing much more in the way of variability. Um, I'm not surprised to see that people are taking advantage of, of, you know, weird weather patterns. And maybe if you're able to micro grow things more quickly in certain areas or nurture them further on into the season, uh, this is all about, you know, adapting and mitigating to what has been um, a steady trend towards the abnormal over the last five to seven years. And I'm looking at the forecast and stuff you've sent and stuff that I'm seeing uh, on on the tube, and uh, I'm scratching my head because yeah. I'm seeing like 70s just just sending charting out into the future. I mean, when, as as Bob said, and when that door slams, it's going to slam. Right, it's going to slam hard on us, and people are going to go, "Why is it cold so fast?" And they're going to forget all about the uh, 80s and 70s that we had in September and October. Yeah, I mean, this was the only the fifth September ever in 150 years that we failed to record a temperature below 50 degrees wow. at O'Hare. Yeah, I know. Wow, that's that that's I, rare. I, I was hearing but, air conditioners running on the block last night. I mean, oh yeah, it was it was actually pretty humid, Peg. I mean, we had uh, dew points well into the upper 60s, um, and that resulted in you know not only a warm day but a fairly humid day. Um, and because of that, uh, we got some pretty decent rainfall. But before I run down some of the numbers, because I didn't get a chance to get them over to you because they didn't get updated until about 9.30 this morning. Uh, but we ended up the month of September uh, 4 degrees above normal, 3.9. Uh, it was 4.5 degrees above normal at Rockford. Uh, it was the fifth warmest September on record um, for Chicago. And that takes us all the way back to 1871. Um, I think if you look at the last, like, 10 years, the top five warmest Septembers are all within, like, the last 10 years. And this has been a trend where it seems to be our summers are becoming more and more extended into the month of September uh, whenever we get active uh, weather in the tropics. We're up to storm number 20 with uh, Tropical Storm uh, Victor that has formed in the southern Atlantic. We also had Hurricane Sam. Uh, one of the longest-running Cat 4 hurricanes ever. Uh, but Sam is not going to do any damage to anybody. It's basically going to be uh, what we like to refer to as a fish storm. But the fact that you can, you know, get these hurricanes and get these tropical going. Fish a fish storm. Yeah, meaning that it's not going to affect anybody other than fish. Um, but I will but, say, though. But, but it's remarkable. I mean, you look at that hur- that hurricane. It feels like it's been around for three months, Okay. Uh, just just spinning <laughs> yeah. and spinning there, and as you can see, it's a it's a very yeah. power, power, powerful storm. Yeah, 
Yeah, and and this is actually um, updated satellite data. Uh, when you click on that link, it, it just keeps refreshing it because it's what's called a, a nighttime infrared visible satellite developed, believe it or not, at the University of Wisconsin uh, by a, a former um, student uh, that I went to school with, Kathy Strabla. So uh, I, I'm I'm always I'm always impressed by the fact that. The people I worked in and partied with were able to settle down <laughs> and bring some of this amazing, amazing imagery. So the thing about Sam, real quickly, because I know we're going in a bunch of different directions. Um, Sam was able to maintain uh, the core of its intensity um, as a Category 4 longer than, I think, only three other Category 4s that we've looked at um, since about 1960. All right. However... When you look at where Sam is, Sam is already up to about almost 40 degrees latitude. So again, no longer can we just say that a storm was a Category 4 for this long period of time. You now have to put it further north and later in the year. So in other words, you're, you're comparing Sam now to Hurricane Matthew of 2016, um, Hurricane Maria of 2017. Those were all Caribbean storms. And those were all basically in the middle of the month of um, September. Sam is beginning to show us that these storms are doing different things uh, further north, further into the season, which, again, um, is one of the things that I like to talk about. It's not so much the change, but it's a highly variable weather that we're seeing. So just to put this into perspective, Hurricane Larry also moved across almost that same area. Uh, of the central part of the Atlantic, where you had basically no upper-level winds to shear it apart. Um, Larry had what we call an accumulated cyclone energy, number of about 35. And I think Sam has accumulated cyclone energy number of close to 50. What meteorologists look at is not so much the number of storms, but how much energy these storms have over a period of time. That's really the best way to look at the size of the storm and how long it lasts. In other words, if you just go cat five for 12 hours, no big deal. But if you're cat four, which is what Sam has been for like four days, that shows you that the atmosphere is not only doing its thing, but it's doing its thing over a long period of time over a large area. That's a better way of really kind of understanding, um, you know, the, the ability of what mother nature can do from a standpoint of the latent heat release off the ocean into the atmosphere. So our accumulated cyclone energy, we call that ACE, AC, and I sent that to you on this morning's um, second round of graphics, is now up to 133 for the season. The normal, or I I should say climatological for this time of the year, is about 85. Now, two of those storms, Larry and Sam, have been well off to the east of the Atlantic, so they really haven't impacted the United States. That's good. We don't want them. We're not cheerleading this stuff. But it just shows you that you, you still can't look at just numbers. You have to look at what's inside the numbers. So it's kind of like it's kind of like you have a bag of, you know, of uh, potato chips that takes up, you know, two feet wide and three feet high. Um, and it only weighs, you know, maybe, I don't know, two pounds. And then you have a bag of stuff, you know, of frozen turkeys, same height but it weighs like 50 pounds. So it's still a bag, but one has a lot more in it than the other one does. The bigger one, obviously, is what we're referring to with Sam and Larry. So just to go back to what we were talking about earlier, all of the different things that we're seeing, even here in Chicago, when Peg mentioned 
you know, the, the air condition is running uh, is a result of the fact that the oceans are warmer. And when you get more active from a standpoint of hurricanes and tropical storms, September now acts a little bit like August, doesn't it? Yeah, hmm. absolutely. In fact, let's pop this up uh, for our September review. Uh, as you mentioned before, the top t- 10 warmest for both Chicago and Rockford. I-, I don't know if you caught the beginning of the show. We were talking about Rockford and how they're trying to uh, p- save a prairie that's right next to Rockford Airport. Um, yeah, I, I, I saw some of that posted. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, so dry, Mike. They're like 15 inches below normal rainfall. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that hasn't changed really. Uh, the, the We had some weather go through when Peggy and I were talking earlier uh, she got about what three tenths of an about inch. Three tenths of an inch this morning. Yesterday, nothing really, but the, this morning. Yeah, yeah, and all told, yeah. I I got about a tenth of an inch. Right, but let let me let me wrote, let me go through some of these numbers. Um, and um, I don't think I can send you this graphic. I don't think you can see my screen. I'm going to try to see if I can send you something real quick. Okay. All right. If I send you something right now, would you be able to get it on the show? Yeah, I should be able to pop it up if you get it to me right now. Oh, you know what? My um, <laughs> it it just crapped out. Where all of a sudden, when I when I start to look for something, yeah, um, it doesn't find it. Okay, I'm getting that spinning beach ball of death. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Okay. Oh dear. It, it's I don't know why, but it's been doing that a lot lately. Um. Anyway, um, if if you want, um, I can kind of because I'm, otherwise I'm going to have to click off Firefox, and that that'll kick me out of the show, and I yeah. don't want to do that. No. Uh, but the bottom line is there was a narrow band of rain uh, that moved up across areas of northern Lake County, actually north of where you are, Peg. They got about an inch and a half uh, of hmm. rain, but it was really, really narrow. And then there was another band of rain that moved across the far southern suburbs, generally southern Cook County into southern Will. It was about an inch and a half of rain. But again, uh, these were two narrow bands of rain that moved through. They weren't widespread. They weren't long-lasting. Um, and uh, because of that, there's not going to have much impact on the on the drought across the area, which is yeah. now reaching, as you saw the, the graphics that I sent you guys, um, it's now reaching areas where um, literally we're almost at um, severe levels, again, in parts of northern sections of Illinois, and extreme mm-hmm. levels across areas of Lake and McHenry County again. Yeah. yeah, you can see it right in this map, and it it seems like that area, that that line that extends uh, from Iowa through northern Illinois and southern Wisconsin is just seems to be expanding each week. <laughs> I know it, it's it's going away, but you know what? Typically, um, this is the time of the year when you get into that in between summer and autumn uh, is when you start to get. Um, into those periods where you're not getting big thunderstorms, you're not getting big rounds of widespread rain, and you can get into these dry times. So this is one of the things where you start to see your normal climactic regimes begin to kind of dry out. Okay. We just lost you. Yeah, I know. Let's see if he's even, I think he's probably, if I look, he's probably frozen. Oh, he's there. Okay. We're losing you, Rick. Firefox kicked him off anyway. Uh oh. Turn off everything else but that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to click that. Okay. Okay. 
let's see what he does here. Let's uh, until we uh, see him. So I'm again. just reading through the comments. Um, Marta Keen said, um, "Trend to the abnormal" was a great summary comment. Ah, but now we're trending to the abnormal. I like that trending to the abnormal. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Ron Cowgill says Rick needs to update his recess light bulbs from CFLs to LEDs. Ah, that's fine. <laughs> Thank I, you, Ron. I, I can't believe you actually <laughs> noticed that, Ron. Uh, and uh, uh, right, exactly. Do, 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 do. This uh, Deb suggested I do the uh, the Jeopardy thing. But, you know, Jeopardy is in such trouble right now. Let's throw up the uh, the national drought map the u.s drought monitor from uh september 28th as you can see yeah. uh still nasty I wish there were like progressive maps to to show just how it went across the season um i'm sure they do there's got I'm to back. be oh yay okay hey. let's go get uh I'm, we... I'm i'm back i'm back just like the drought's back <laughs> uh and He's we popped back. up we popped up the uh the u.s drought map uh to get a sense of what's going on in the country as well Oh God! I mean, um, what's amazing is that I was I was watching a little bit of um, Meet the Press this morning, and I guess on the Meet the Press uh, live stream, or I guess the part that's streaming or a podcast, figure exactly what they're doing. Uh, but they're, what what they're going to be focusing on? Uh, one of the issues, believe it or not, is climate change, and immediately they have someone who's going to be outside um, at around the Lake Mead area. Uh, looking at how that lake has dropped almost 120 feet, um, I guess in the last 20 years or 50 years, I forget exactly what. But again, it, it's not so much that lake meat is dropping because of climate change. It's dropping because of this enormous demand on water mm-hmm. in that area from increasing population. So again, one of the things that you always have to be able to do is to be able to... i got to close my window here. Um, you always have to be able to think about not only the the changing climate, but also the changing demand in something. And if you're not keeping up with that, um, you, you're not doing your job as, you know, a public policymaker. Let us go to uh, a couple of the other maps that you sent. You just sent these this morning. Yeah. Uh, so looking at, uh, at where we're going with our, our wind regime. Yeah, so this, so again, I like to show people this because once you get into this time of the year, you begin to see how the jet stream uh, really has a huge influence on our weather, all right? So uh, this is for this morning. See, it says above there, um, October the 3rd, and that little bit of a trough, that little bit of an open wave there between Iowa and Western Illinois, that's the weak area of low pressure, that spinning motion that's going to be moving northward. There's actually rain falling as we speak. Uh, about 50 miles south of the city of Chicago, and there's another band of rain about 50 miles to the north. Both bands of rain, believe it or not, are going to move off to the east, so I don't think we're going to get much out of this. We may get a sprinkle or two out of the thing to the south, but this is generally going to translate to the east. The next map is going to show you where the jet stream is going to be in about nine days. So what happens is we're beginning to see some very, very impressive pieces of energy coming all the way in from the Pacific Ocean due to these very, very active typhoons that are now moving across the Western Pacific. And as they do so, they kind of jump across the North Pacific and they dive into the Pacific Northwest. 
So what you see here is this huge wave. Uh, literally, it looks like a, an, like, a, like a letter U that's becoming tilted. Uh, this mm-hmm. is going to produce a, quite the formidable storm in the Midwest, not, next, not this coming Tuesday, but next week. So we're going to stay somewhat in this onshore flow, easterly wind, um, somewhat temperatures five to seven degrees above normal, overnight lows remaining somewhat above normal, not much in the way of precipitation between now and the next time we talk, which will be next Sunday. But following that, uh, there's two significant areas of low pressure, which should move across the Midwest. And it looks like this one could be a significant rain producer, maybe for next Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Uh, But it could also be somewhat in the way of uh, severe weather as well. So as you can see, most of the precipitation is going to be out west with that next couple, those next couple of waves that move through. That's great news for them. So even though this is above normal, they're probably um, only going to get about 25% of what they need. So when you look at, I think the next map uh, should be the 8 to 14 day. It shows mm-hmm. you how that area of above normal over Minnesota and Wisconsin, that's latched to that system that's coming through. Uh, but it does look like the Pacific Northwest gets a little active. Now, going back to what we were talking before about how Sam is a fish storm, we also had Typhoon Mindule, M-I-N-D-U-L-L-E, which actually went south of Japan, but that was a Category 4 hurricane as well, or I should say Typhoon as well, and at one point was a Category 5. That did a tremendous amount of disruption to the supply chain. You know, lately we've had really some huge issues with the international supply chain, um, Which so we were we saw, talking about earlier on the show, too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, Peg. And and we saw that um, both with Minduli and probably uh, with Sam, but not as much because Sam was a little bit of a smaller storm. So, again, one of these things that I was talking about with my students is that not only, that not only these hurricanes and typhoons um, disrupting the supply chain, which seems to be – um, kind of on overdrive since the pandemic kind of slightly came to an end, but really didn't. But these storms are moving further north uh, and also later in the year. So again, when you have even more ships across the Pacific and the Atlantic trying to get the world economy to back to where it was a year or two ago, and you're having these massive disruptions in um, container ships due to an increase in the size and the duration of typhoons and hurricanes, that's something that you have to consider. And a friend of mine, John Davis, who's now a meteorologist for DHL um, in Barcelona, Spain, I think I told you about this. He moved out there a couple of years ago. And Mike, you met him. Um, he goes, dude, this is one of the biggest things that, we, that we're always considering is how the supply chain is being impacted by these larger than normal, slower than normal further moving north than normal, later than active seasons normal um, on what has now become not a two-lane or a four-lane highway, but literally like an eight- and a 16-lane highway um, uh, of container ships across both oceans, trying to satisfy the needs of people who want something delivered to their front door yesterday. And again, it's all part of trying to figure out how we're maintaining somewhat to be in step with the changing climate or trying to stay within maybe one or two steps behind, but not five or six. Yeah. I, yeah. I saw the, I saw uh, the uh, 
overhead views of the ships in the Pacific Ocean trying to get into Los Angeles Harbor, and they're just stacked up. There's like 30. You can go to a great site. You can, you can, and I can send this to you. You can talk about this next week. It's called marinetraffic.com. Hmm. And then you can click on live map and you can actually see where the ships are and where the ships aren't. And where they aren't is usually where there's a typhoon or, or a tropical storm. It's, and it's a live map of container ships worldwide. And when I show it to my kids, they go, holy smoke. You mean they can't get through that? I'm like, no, because those things are so stacked up, and they only go about 25 knots. They're not very fast-moving ships. Um, and because they're so slow and you have to pre- prepare literally six to eight days in advance of a hurricane or a tropical storm moving, um, you have to do a lot of really good forecasting, sometimes a week to 10 days out. So that is where we're going uh, with how our climate is impacting. And again, um, when you hear about people talking about climate change and climate variability, you got to talk about it, how it affects the bottom line, which is the economy. And then people will begin to listen. All right. Let's take a look at a couple more maps here. Um, the six to 10 day temperature outlook. <laughs> I mean, it, it hasn't changed much from the last two weeks, which is generally above average and nothing in a way of any real cold weather. Uh, but what you do see is that below normal temperature range out across or area out across um, Oregon and Washington. So good news for them. Uh, good news for us here. If you want to enjoy September weather in October, um, I know for me, um, I'm looking at a lot of these trees and they're probably about a week to 10 days ahead of schedule. Um, and the good news, as long as it doesn't get too windy, uh, these leaves are going to stay under trees for a long time. But yeah, bottom line though, you look at the ground and the, it looks like dust in some areas, doesn't it? Yeah and, yeah, and we should mention, Peggy, where did we see the report on uh, tree color? Uh, I, I've been reading some stuff over the last couple of weeks about how if the trees were stressed, they were stressed during the year, as many were in this area because of the drought, mm-hmm. the colors will be muted, even right. though, because we're just not yeah. getting, there's just not enough moisture, and uh, right. it might not be a great uh, yeah. fall color season here. Yeah, I um, I, I, I Go ahead, Peg. Go ahead, Peg. Some of that came from some of that came from what you had sent last week, Rick. Yeah, and I think the best way to describe the fall colors this year is you walk into uh, an antique shop and you go down into the basement and you see a painting on the wall that's been hanging there for about ten years, and it's got all these wonderful colors, but they're all basically looking kind of tired and old, and that's how a lot of our trees are going to look. Well, it's uh, the, right. It's the well, pat- the patina that uh, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, dulls. the patina. Yeah. Well, the other thing I want to ask because I know we're getting to the end here. Um, I'm looking right now. Wilmette Bowie water temperature sixty six point seven. That's right unbelievable. Now. Yeah, I think next week, Peg, is is a good uh, jumping off point from this conversation here is to talk about um, water temperatures and where they are above or below normal. I actually went in the water last week up to my knees. And I was like, this is still pretty nice. I mean, you know, we're like going, oh, but it's down to 66. But you know what? If you're 66 degree water temperature in early June, you're happy about that. Um, But here we are, 66 degrees in early October. And again, they're five to six degrees above normal for two reasons. Um, It's been warm and it's been dry. So when you begin the rain into these warm lakes this time of the year, you cool it off. But on top of that, with the air conditioners running in the night, that's a testament to the fact that the air is not only warm, 
uh, but it's also human as well. And it's human as well today with dew points in the upper 60s. Yeah. So it almost, to me, it almost felt like a morning in central Florida in February. That's what this morning felt like walking around wow. with that yeah. low sun angle and the temperatures in the upper 60s and dew points in the mid 60s. It I felt went like check the rain gauge and it was so warm out there and, and humid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah it really was. One more thing here, uh, Dennis uh, Dreyer out in Bull Valley says he got one inch of rain, so he said in the drought zone overnight. So yeah, good for him. I'm glad that that happened. And again, I can send I can send you guys the the link to the Cocoa Rise site that gives you all of the super high res detailed information. It's much better than the National Weather Service uh, map. It's Cocoa Rise, which is part of the Weather Service, but that really gives all the um, updated information. And oftentimes it comes in a little bit late because you need to have people go out there and either uh, make sure their bucket is tipped or to push the button and make sure that the information got to the weather service. But yeah, there was definitely some areas up around Bull Valley got about an inch and a third. Yeah. So, and the only now, other, now, one, one, other, one other thing before we get to a forecast yeah. here, uh, and that's about swimming in uh, Lake Michigan. Um, we had some people uh, a couple of weeks ago because you were talking about it. And then it was one of those days when there were going to be rip currents and um, you got to be careful. Keep an eye on the forecast. If you're going to swim in Lake Michigan, know what you're dealing with and know whether you're in a situation where that's going to be dangerous. I, it, it doesn't look like it for the next few days. Does it? No, no, no. As long, as long as we don't really have strong Northeast winds, we're fine. If they're East, they're okay. But it's those Northeast winds that, that take the rip current and then pull you out and then drag you south. If it's just an east wind, then the, you'll be pushed back towards the, the water. So either a, a strong southwest wind um, or a strong uh, northeast wind, anything that's kind of, um, in, in a sense, perpendicular to the coast. If, right. it, if it's directly along it, I should say more parallel. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, more per- perpendicular, that's what's going to pull you away. But again, as Peg pointed out, 66 degrees for October, that's pretty darn good. I mean, you think about it, two months from now, you can easily have ice in the lake, and we're at 66 degrees. Yeah. So this yeah. is going to be another one of those years where the warmer we are in October, the chances of getting snow right along the shoreline uh, with those big latitude, mid-latitude cyclones, um, usually yeah. <laughs> it's tough to do. Yeah, it's tough to do. Yeah. Okay, how about the a Chicago forecast? Chicago buoy 66 as well. I, I don't have the mid-lake buoy, but I imagine that's probably up there too, so. It, it, it's almost the same, Peg. It, it really is yeah. amazing how, how much it's the same. Um, all right. For anybody so, who's wondering, this is the Noe buoy, buoy and Tide Data app. If they're wondering yeah, what I'm looking yeah. at. It, and it's funny, on, on the National Buoy Report, they actually have a thing called Dial-A-Buoy. <laughs> like you, you get a mattress buoy on the same phone call, right? One eight hundred dialing for it. I, I like that TV show, dialing for buoys. All right, let's. Uh... <laughs> Dial a buoy. Um, all right, so uh, mid seventies today. A little bit of rain generally to the north and south of us, and then we dry out for um, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Even though there's like an upper low right over us, which could generate a sprinkler tube. Nothing in the way of any heavy rain, um, and then literally not until maybe next. Friday or Saturday, do we get another little shot of a little bit of a spinning motion that comes over the top of us? Uh, but from a standpoint of tropical storms, the next one is going to be Wanda, um, which could actually reach the coast of Florida, but just a tropical storm, nothing in the way of any hurricanes. And I would not be surprised if a couple of major typhoons make their way across uh, areas of China and also 
um, areas of um, south of Japan. So I think that's what we could talk a little bit more about the supply chain, uh, which is becoming you know, important stuff to talk about. It's a big um, deal. It's I'm seeing it yeah. everywhere. I'm seeing it on TV. I'm seeing it in the papers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if folks are With worried about this. the holidays coming and everybody ordering online, it's going to get bigger. And you know what? You know, maybe in the future we can have a talk about are we becoming the next throwaway society? Becoming? Yeah, really. Uh, it's it's someplace we've been for 50 years. No, I mean, I mean, our generation is now everybody's like Amazon and everything. Everybody's everybody is now ordering stuff. And I see more and more of boxes being dropped off in front of people's homes. So um, I think for a while we were like, we don't want to be a throwaway society. Now it seems like we're going back to that, like our generation, the generation below us and below that. We're all now aiding to the problem. And um, I, I think this thing of whole ordering stuff yesterday is is overall well, it i don't yeah. think it's good it's a the idea of of having the uh, express delivery i forget what they call it because i don't do it um you know and they load one box on a truck because it has to get there and it's such a waste of energy um that yeah that it's that kind of stuff that uh, drives me crazy yeah time to have TerraCycle back on i guess so all right rick have a great week enjoy the sunshine um and uh Whatever. Open the window again. Yeah. Well, (laughs) after today, we'll get, we'll get, well, the warmth. Let me put it that way the warmth. We'll talk to you next week. Okay. See ya. Bye bye. Uh, There we go. So let's, let's do this and thank all the wonderful people who are on the show today. Carrie Lee from the Natural Land Institute, Rob Telfer, uh, who uh, is the communicator, the naturalist and communicator and poet. And poet. And poet. Um, Bob Benenson from Local Food Forum. Go to localfoodforum.substack.com. Thanks to Kathleen. Thanks to our wonderful viewers. We really appreciate you watching us. Thanks to Legata and Basil. Uh, I think that's about it. So until next time, go green or... Uh, Stadler? Uh, What? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. (laughs) 